Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for November 11th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we talk about Arkansas Soybean Month and the 50th anniversary of the Soybean Checkoff Program in Arkansas. We also get to know Chris Colclazier, recently appointed director of the Department of Agriculture's Natural Resources Division. And we hear about Arkansas Farm Bureau's annual resolutions meeting, an important part of the organization's grassroots policy development process. First, Governor Asa Hutchinson recently appointed Chris Colclazier as director of the Department of Agriculture's Natural Resources Division. We spoke to Chris about the responsibilities he and his staff have been given and how they're tackling the many natural resource challenges in our state. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and today my guest is Chris Colclazier, the new director for the Natural Resources Division at the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. Welcome to AgCast, Chris. Hi, Keith. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. Uh, uh, I've been seeing news about the new Natural Resources Division over there in the Department of Ag, and I'm sure a lot of other people have too. And we thought this would be a good opportunity to maybe introduce folks to the new division and explain to them uh, what y'all do for our producers, our farmers and ranchers around the state. So uh, let's let's start by maybe uh, giving them a, a little info about the new division, Chris, and what y'all do. Yeah. Well, the, the Natural Resources Division is, is really a new name for an old agency. We're, we are what used to be the Soil and Water Conservation Commission and the, later changed its name to the Natural Resources Commission. And so what, what has happened is with transformation, we have been moved under the Department of Agriculture and now are just a division of the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. But we do a lot of the same things that we did, um, you know, in the past. We work with folks on uh, conserving groundwater. Uh, we work with folks on floodplain management, dam safety, and then work with all the conservation districts across the state, as well as work with communities on their drinking water and their wastewater infrastructure. So we have the state revolving loan fund try to help our communities across the state. That's a, a broad range of responsibilities. How big of a staff do you have over there? And what are uh, some of the specific things that they do day to day? Yeah, so we're about 50 folks here at the Natural Resources Division, broken up really into three main sections. So our conservation section uh, it just totally is dedicated to working with the conservation districts. And so we work closely with all 75 conservation districts. We work closely within RCS and also the Association of Conservation Districts. And our role is to provide assistance to them. So we provide financial assistance. So we have uh, dollars that we get from the legislature that we then uh, give to the conservation districts so that they can maintain their operations. And then we also do grants to districts where we provide dollars to them for specific projects, as well as dollars like for the Beaver program. We provide about $150,000 each year to the conservation districts for uh, beaver control. So 
things like that in that section. Our water resources development section is really focused on communities and their drinking water and wastewater infrastructure. And this is critical, um, especially for those areas of the state that are seeing a lot of growth, as well as those areas that are you know, having fewer people, fewer rate payers, and they've got, you know, systems that they can't afford to fix. So we can come in with loans and grants and try to help them fix their systems uh, to prevent, you know, leakage. I've seen examples where some communities had 50% water loss on wow. their, their, in their water systems. And same thing with sewer, you know, with all of the nutrients that are out there through, you know, us as humans and everything that we do, um, plus what happens naturally, you know, it's important for us to have good, good sewer systems so that uh, we're not putting excess nutrients in our, in our streams and rivers. Certainly. And uh, that's two, two sections. There's one yep. more, right? Yes, uh, sir. Water resources management yeah. is our third section. And that's kind of a little bit of everything. We have our groundwater uh section is in there so we monitor the state's groundwater um, and even offer incentives programs to try to conserve water for example we have a groundwater conservation tax credit um, where if you're looking at building reservoirs or doing land leveling converting from groundwater to surface water or put in water meters then you know you can work through the conservation districts and us to get uh, some tax relief. So, you know, you can save water and save money, which everybody likes to do. Also in that section, we have floodplain management and dam safety. Floodplain, we work with over 400 communities across the state on uh, mitigating against flood loss. And, you know, as, as well as I do, we've had some pretty significant floods lately. The 2019 flood on the Arkansas oh, yeah, River was, definitely. Was, was devastating. And so that section works with those communities to try to keep people, uh, life and property protected from flooding. And dam safety is designed uh, really to work with those dam owners and communities on high hazard dams and so that we don't have a dam failure and and uh, that that injures someone or destroys property so we we try to work with those communities and we're really the middleman between FEMA and uh, and the communities and the and our property owners well all of us uh, see examples of some of these uh, disasters and and things that happen related to your work uh, in other areas, so we can see it's very important. I think uh, people would enjoy knowing more about you, Chris. Uh, you and I come from a similar background, at least part of our careers with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, but your career is much more extensive with uh, a government. Why don't you tell people a little bit more about yourself and, and why they brought you there to, to lead this division? Sure. Well, I've, I've got 21 years with the state um, working in all the conservation field. So uh, I started um, right out of right out of college. Um, I have a, a bachelor's in biology, so I'm a biologist by education. But I went to work for the Soil and Water Conservation Commission and worked in floodplain management there for a couple of years and then later left to be a supervisor uh, at the Department of Arkansas Heritage, working for the Natural Heritage Commission. And there I, I did everything from conservation planning to 
stewardship on the ground of actual doing prescribed burns and timber management to also doing protection land acquisition for some of the unique sites across the state and learned a ton worked there 14 years and when I left I was their director I'd been their director for about three years and really learned um, how to manage an agency both you know financially uh, learning you know state accounting system procurement and all those things at that level um, and as well as human resources and legislative and policy all those things that are critical for an agency. Um, but I left there in 2016 to be one of the deputy directors at the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and, and enjoyed my five years there uh, at Game and Fish and still have a lot of great friends uh, there, but moved over here in September um, to take on the responsibilities of being the director of the Natural Resources Commission. And, and I'm very honored to have the, the governor appoint me to that position. And, and my goal here is to make sure that we're, as an agency, that we are you know, gonna fully utilize every tool that we have to put conservation on the ground. Well, you have extensive experience that qualifies you for the job, and we'll knew, we know you'll do a great job there. Let's, uh, let's let folks know where they can go to learn more about the uh, Natural Resources Division and how they can get in touch if uh, they want to find out about some type of assistance they might need. Yeah. Well, anybody that wants to learn about us and our programs, we have a fabulous website. And I would encourage anybody that, that wants to see about uh, us to go to agriculture.arkansas.gov slash natural resources. And they can look at all of our programs, our sections, and learn more about us. Or they can call us, and they can call us at 501-682-3960. And we'll be happy to provide information to them, or if they're looking for a particular program, uh, we get them in touch with the right person. I know uh, there's going to be some uh, periods coming up where there are signups for different programs like the Groundwater Conservation Tax Credit Program. We're going to try to stay in touch. You and I have talked about how important that is and get the word out on some of those specific things y'all have going on. Uh, in the meantime, uh, folks should get online and check out the new division and see what y'all do and uh, give you a holler if they need it. We appreciate you, Chris, taking time out of your busy schedule today to uh, let everybody know about the new division and what your folks do. Thank you, Keith. Thanks for, for having us on and give us, giving us an opportunity to, to, to talk about our programs. Next, we caught up with Arkansas Farm Bureau Board Vice President Mike Freeze after he helped preside over our Farm Bureau's annual resolutions meeting. He talks about the meaning and importance of the meeting and the grassroots process for developing the organization's official policy for the coming year. All right, I am here with uh, Mike Freeze, uh, Vice President of the Arkansas Farm Bureau Board of Directors. Mike, uh, the, today was a very important stop on the road to our annual convention and our and our grassroots process. So can you tell me why it was such an important day as well, you know, what we did here today? Yeah, this is the middle step in our grassroots process. It begins with the counties getting together and deciding uh, what uh, resolutions they want to send forth to try to get into Arkansas Farm Bureau policy. And you'll have uh, sometimes 
three or four counties may send in the same resolution. You may have a county that sends in one resolution and another county sends in one that exactly opposes that resolution. So we have the resolution uh, committee uh, that is made up of uh, county presidents, et cetera, and um, all of those uh, county resolutions that are sent in, they're all gone over and decided which ones, uh, and, and they're wordsmith, and then we're forwarded on uh, to the annual meeting where the full voting delegate body will decide which ones become policy. So this is just the middle middle step, and the final step will be once the resolution committee meets again at the state convention and finalizes the resolutions, that's their last chance at it, then it goes before the full voting delegate body at our, our uh, state convention and, and what passes becomes policy and what doesn't doesn't and so yes we call today resolutions and really the earlier the steps were you know in late summer early fall we go through the the meetings at the county level and that's where these resolutions come from and then they they come here and like you said we we kind of go through that to see see how it all shakes out um and, and you kind of mentioned we take this to the, the next step at, at annual convention, and then what happens beyond that? Do we take some of that take some of that on to national? Yes. There are, we're divided up into policy, what we call our, our state policy, which is policy that we feel like only impacts Arkansas. Um, and then we have what's called national policy. And the, the national policy, once, once it's voted on at state convention by our voting delegates, it's sent on to American Farm Bureau, and a similar process happens. It goes to an American Farm Bureau Resolution uh, Committee. They kind of go together, and if, if there's two or three states submitting the same uh, uh, resolution, they'll combine them or wordsmith them. And then it goes before the uh, – in January, it'll go before the full – uh, voting delegate of American Farm Bureau, which includes delegates from from all um, fifty states and Puerto Rico. So we will uh, at that time that's voted on, and what American Farm Bureau votes into policy becomes our national policy that's lobbied for in Washington D.C. And so again, this is part of the grassroots process. This is coming from the counties. It starts at that level, and we go through this process. How long have you been involved with it? How long have you been taking part in this process? Oh my gosh, I've I've been involved with it ever since I was probably an officer in Lone Oak County, which was back in the early '90s, I think uh-huh. maybe uh, mid '90s. And so, uh, you know, I got involved with with uh, Arkansas Farm Bureau because of their political activity. You know, I needed somebody to to help defend my farming practices and my livelihood and. You know, there's nobody better positioned to do that in Arkansas than Arkansas Farm Farm Bureau. And I like to tell people I did buy my insurance from Farm Bureau for when I was president of Lono County for several years. Now, don't get me wrong. We have a very, very good insurance product, and I we buy our insurance from them now. But that's not why I got involved with mm-hmm. Farm Bureau. It was the political um, uh, activities that Farm Farm Bureau and the access to, to political activity that they gave me that I got involved for. Right. So it's something that can benefit anyone who gets involved with Arkansas Farm Bureau is it's really protecting farming, standing up for agriculture in Arkansas and, and speaking out on those issues. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're involved in any facet of farming, if you're an environmentalist, you need to be involved with, with Farm Bureau. You can, for $40, you can become a, a member. I don't care where you buy your insurance. I, I would like mm-hmm. you to consider Arkansas Farm Bureau insurance companies because mm-hmm. I do think we have very, very good products and, and service. But regardless of that, I mean, you can become a member of Farm Bureau and you can get engaged and involved at your county level and your voice will be heard at the county level, the state level, and all the way to the national level. 
I mean, when you talk to a, an elected official, whether it's a state senator, representative, the governor, or a, a U.S. senator or congressman, it's our grassroots process and the fact that, that what we're putting into policy works its way up from from a multitude of, of people that are actually farming the land and, and utilizing the land, and that it works its way up from there, this whole grassroots uh, philosophy, that they put a lot of stock in, in Farm mm-hmm. Bureau policy. You'll hear it in the halls of Congress and in the, in the halls of state capitol. When an issue comes up, they want to know, well, what's Farm Bureau policy on that issue? Sure. What uh, any changes you've noticed through the years? I mean, has it been the technology of how all this is done? Is it what, what, the what te- have you noticed? The technology is is changing. Just like so many, we've been impacted by COVID. We've had to have um, more uh, Zoom type meetings, and and then you know we we are now doing more electronic voting with our phones, et cetera, as opposed to you know people standing up and you trying to count them. Um, and it's it's the way that you know all organizations are are having to, to do things. I mean, uh, my goodness, four years ago, I didn't know, I'd never participated in a Zoom meeting. Now right. it seems like I'm in one every right. week. So well, It feels like you've been saying it forever, but it's, yeah. it's still pretty brand new. Yeah, it, it, it is, and, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, uh, your average age of your American farmer is getting older and older. Mm-hmm. We're wanting to do everything we can to encourage uh, younger farmers and ranchers to get involved in, in, in Farm Bureau, and one of the things you've got to show them that if they're if they're going to put the time and effort into being involved and being a member, what they can get back for it, and and probably the number one thing is the political activity, the the opportunity for your voice to be heard, right? And uh, you know, sometimes one person may propose a uh, a resolution, and that one person may get it through their county, through their state, through American Farm Bureau, and it may become law uh, because that one person cared about that particular issue. Sure. So what, uh, you know, obviously we won't get into the weeds of everything that was discussed today, but what were some of the big picture issues or some of the bigger things that you saw people talking about? Today? Well, of course, everyone, the, the new farm bill com- that's going to be mm-hmm. coming up here in, in the, the next few years is on everybody's mind and, and uh, how that's going to be administered and, and the programs that are going to be in it. Uh, one of the, the issues that, that's come up that the American public's had to deal with has been the supply chain issues. Oh, yes. Uh, so that, that was huge. Uh, you know, the, the, the cost difference between what you sell, a, a, you know, a, a live uh, cow for than what the, the product of, of beef is, you mm-hmm. know, the price of the beef is in the, in the store, that this, the, the right. disparity, so to, so to speak. And, and the fact that, um, you know, a lot of the inputs for farmers are, are going up and they're concerned about that. And are they going to be able to, um, you know, continue to make a, a living farming? And is their price, uh, their price is going to stay high enough they're going to be profitable? You know, yeah. we, we tell uh, sustainability is a big issue, but sustainability begins with the farmer being profitable so he can stay on the farm. Sure. All right. Well, I certainly appreciate you joining us today. Uh, next stop again is annual convention, which is here in Little Rock, December 1st through 3rd. Uh, so maybe we'll talk to you again then. I'll be here. God All right. willing. All right. appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Finally, Jim Carroll, former chairman of the United Soybean Board, joins us to commemorate Arkansas Soybean Month and the 50th anniversary of the checkoff program in Arkansas. Jim shares some of the more innovative uses for soybeans, from healthy cooking oils to the tires on your new car. What an honor and a pleasure to have my longtime friend, Jim Carroll, uh, on the Arkansas AgCast today. Jim, 
uh, is a farmer in Monroe County here in Arkansas, but uh, has held several, several leadership positions. Honestly, I don't think I could, I could count them off if I tried in the farming industry. And I've invited Jim on uh, based on one of those leadership positions. Jim, good to have you on the Arkansas AgCast. Thank you, Jason. It's uh, always a pleasure to try to uh, get our side of farming out to the consumer, and, and I always enjoy talking with you. Yeah, so you uh, just wrapped up uh, the position of chairman of the United Soybean Board, and uh, for those who don't know uh, the United Soybean Board, this is the national checkoff uh, for uh, the soybean industry here in the here in the U.S. But I thought we'd start off with a basic, if you don't mind. And uh, Jim, I'd I'd like to just ask you, what is a checkoff program? Thank you, Jason. A lot of people don't know about that, but it is where that we as soybean farmers. Uh, it's basically a tax that we get one half of one percent uh, at the first point of sale to use for promotion, development, and research. And if people would just look at it like the same thing, and I'll take this for an example: that Coca-Cola mm-hmm. takes some of their profits every year and and put back into their promotional and and re- developing new products out there for the consumers. We're doing the same thing, but it's you know. A lot of people don't think ag stuff is all that flashy, but uh, I'm a little bit different. I think ag stuff is the basics for all of us to have a good source of food supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. So uh, so with a checkoff program, uh, you're saying this is, this is a way that growers can invest a portion of their profits or po- portion of their earnings yeah. back into the industry, whether that be uh, research, development, promotion, you know, things like that. Is that yeah, right? That's correct. Half of their money uh, stays in Arkansas to use as uh, the Arkansas Soybean Board wishes. The other half goes to the National Board of USB, which uh, I was chairman of uh, last year. And uh, to me, it's just a, another step up where you can take aggregate monies from all states and we can do bigger projects and hit things overseas where we may be developing a new market. I mean, it's uh, all working toward the same thing, but just at different levels. Right. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that not only, uh, you know, do we have the United soybean board, but like you said, we have the Arkansas soybean promotion board. And actually this month is uh, Arkansas soybean month, the month of November. And that's, it's a little bit more significant this year because it's the 50th anniversary of the soybean checkoff here in Arkansas. Now, I think about, you, you talked about a national checkoff and a local checkoff. Uh, is, there, is there a difference in the two? Uh, has, has the, have they both been around for, for 50 years? Well, no. Uh, Arkansas has been here 50 years. I'm proud of that because... That tells me awful smart farmers back in the day that realized what a checkoff could do for our industry here in the state. The uh, uh, USB is, I'm just guessing this, Jason, it's probably been here 28 to 30 years. Mm -hmm. And it was developed by a bunch of smart people, too, that realized we needed to reach out a little further than just states and develop an overall uh u.s sort of uh soybean push 
and uh, it's all gone hand in hand. We cooperate from the states and USB and back and forth. And to me, it's uh, been a great thing. And I, I want to mention a while ago, too, about the checkoff. It doesn't matter if you're a big farmer or a small farmer, you're contributing your share. It's not like we're taking more from a guy that's just raising 100 acres and not so much for 1,000. It's all prorated fairly across the board. The ones with more acres just pay more. But it was designed that way because basically you should be receiving more of the benefits we get. Right, yeah. And you know what? You're pretty close. I had to look it up, um, but I did – I did find that the uh, the USB or the National Soybean Checkoff was created in uh, in ninety one, um, so yeah, uh, thirty years this year, I guess. So twenty yeah, but, twenty years sooner did Arkansas uh, farmers yeah. implement this, and uh, it's been so great to see all the states working together. Uh, Jason, you've been around it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we got uh, the big boys, Iowa, and Illinois, Ohio, up there, and. and We've got our state, and, and we're not small. We generally run about ninth or tenth in production every year, and, and we got some of the uh, leading uh, poultry people in our state, and, and I think we do really well with what we're trying to do with our money and our crops. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to I take a moment to just note, if you are listening to this interview, you're five or six minutes in, and this is not all about farmers and farming. If you're a consumer and you wonder why in the world do I care about a checkoff program for a commodity, we're, we're going to get to that. So, so hang with us. Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted just to, to talk about, Jim, and we've covered this quite a bit, uh, you know, how does the checkoff benefit farmers? We talked about research, promotion, um, you know, uh, representing international market opportunities, things like that. Uh, but, you know, let's think about that from a consumer perspective. How, how might consumers uh, recognize benefits uh, from the checkoff? Sure, that, that's a very valid point. Right now we're working on a high-oleic soybean, mm-hmm. and the oil that's, that comes from that soybean has got some frying attributes it'll fry longer it fries at hotter temperatures we're even looking into health things we think there's some health issues here that could be uh good for us using this oil that's just one thing one of of the things that i see that's came on here the last four or five years is goodyear put our oil as soybean oil into their tire they're making them uh where they uh, don't skid as bad, they wear longer. And if I'm a consumer, wasn't a farmer, I'd say, hey, if I have to pay 250 bucks for a tire, I want it to last, you know, as long as we can get it to last. So if we can do this with our oil and not have to use petroleum product, which come out of the ground and overseas, I think it's a plus for the whole nation. Yeah, certainly. Two of those, two things that you said in there made me, made me perk up a little bit. Are you telling me that if I eat something like, uh, I don't know, fried chicken, it could be healthier in the future? Well, that's what we're hoping. We're seeing some things in this oil. Uh, we think right now that when we're having to go through, you know, how it is with government regulation re- researching it. Mm-hmm. But we think that if you had, uh, say, a uh, sausage product that was used, uh, the pig was fed a U.S. soy, that maybe it's got a longer shelf life. Oh, wow. Uh, 
using this Howell Lake oil. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of unknowns out there, and that's the kind of stuff we're taking this money and we're putting it toward these projects and trying to to give uh, the consumers a better option with with oils. And even with the meal, we think that our meal is better than any meal in the world. And they're they're starting to show that there's some things with amino acids and stuff that other countries it doesn't have. And I just think that uh, the type of work that we're doing, it, it excites me. I, I mean, just because I farm, it's exciting. But I think if I was a consumer, and a lot of young people are now researching all that stuff, they would see that, that soy oil, uh, maybe one of these days will be equal to, I know they say olive oil is the best. I, right. I really don't like it. But if we can show that we're as good or better and it's grown here at home, I, I mean, to me, that's a home run. Yeah. And when we talk about soybean oil, we're talking about a practical direct application like vegetable oil or something like that. But also yeah. oil is derived from the beans to make some of these other applications, right? Like the, like the tire, you know, sure, sure. when you say soybean oil, you, you know, you could be talking about different applications there or different right. processes, I guess. Right. And, and Jason, you were around when we worked, Arkansas worked on the edamame. Yeah. A lot of people think that's an overseas product, but we actually raised edamame soybeans in Arkansas, mm -hmm. got a plant up at Mulberry, put those back to the consumer. And I've heard a lot of people say they look better than what you can get at other brands and they taste better. Uh, uh, I just think those little things nobody knows about that was contributed from our money as farmers to help us push a product to the consumer that we think they'll need and enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, consumers, uh, I say consumers like I'm not one, but you know, I think consumers, uh, you know, like you said, they, they don't realize these things are, are everywhere. I mean, Sherwin Williams has soy based paint. Uh, a lot of the materials you read, whether it be the newspaper, things like this are printed with soy based ink. Um, I'm thinking about, um, you know, the insulation that can go in a home. I mean, the foam in these Ford trucks that I'm sitting in. Yes, sir. Yeah. The, the, the seat, the foam that make the seats and, th uh, right. you know, things like that. I mean, and, or, or the tires on, on any vehicle perhaps. Right. And I think if they would take time to research, uh, soy that they would see it's in a, in a lot more things than you and I can cover today. I mean, yeah. it's just little markets and big markets, but it's all, you know, people, first thing they, uh, think about soy is edamame mm -hmm. or, putting soy sauce on something but we're so much more than that nowadays it's not not like it used to be yeah we could probably break this conversation down into a series of um you know directly consumable uh you know soybean uh attributes or benefits and then and then inconsumables like i probably just made that word up but like some of these insulation or, or uh, sure, foam and sure. things like that sure. um I'm thinking about, you know, I think Kansas State University was the first one to use soy backing on its AstroTurf, on its on its football field. And now we're seeing that application across carpets and all, all kinds of flooring materials, too. I mean, it really is part of a everyday life that we don't, we don't even know about it. And, folks, you know, uh, just for anybody listening who, who don't know, and I, I'll, I'll have to get off my soapbox, but, you know, when you, when you go home tonight, it's Monday. Some of us may cook, some of us may not, but as we record this, but when you go home tonight and cook a chicken breast for dinner, just understand that chicken probably ate, uh, a diet of soybeans, uh, you know, 
throughout its lifetime or at some point of its lifetime. So all of these are, are different ways that soybeans are involved in your daily life. And if you live here in Arkansas, chances are you're going to drive by them because last I checked, we raised soybeans in 43 of our 75 counties. That may have changed a little bit, but, you know, the majority of our counties um, grow soybeans. So sure. anyway. Jason, earlier you asked me about my tenure as chairman of the USB. Yeah. And uh, it was a, a great opportunity. Uh, the USB is one of the largest nonprofits. It was exciting for me to get to do it just because I farmed. That's all I've ever known. Mm-hmm. Uh, my years have been out here turning dirt and trying to make a crop. And it, I learned so many new things on uh, how to reach out to people like we're trying to do today, uh, how to deal with our staff that we have for USB on our research projects and things, and even how to deal with the board members. I mean, I, I had uh, 78 really good members around this nation that don't necessarily farm just like I farm, but they farm soybeans and, and we all try to do it to make a profit and continue our farms more sustainable and uh, just to keep us going. Yeah. And uh, I have to admit it was tough. I ended up on the COVID year and we had to shut down our travel and uh, a lot of our meetings. And uh, when we got down to uh finding out exactly who was going to lead the pack. It was me. I had to be the guy that say, Jason, you can't travel. (laughs) Yeah. And that was a tough part. I mean, not that I enjoyed any of that. It was was just the way the world is and still is right now to some places. Sure. But, uh, I would not, uh, have gone back and, and asked for anything different. We can't change that kind of stuff. I I wish it had been where we could have traveled and done some things, but I enjoyed it all. Uh, uh, I don't know what else to tell you other than I, yeah. even a tough year, I, I had a, a, a fun doing it and, uh, would go back and do it again, but I'm terming off this year and there's going to be some new leaders come on and, uh, I'm going to help them any way I can. Yeah. Well, something tells me you're not done serving that, that this industry, <laughs> <laughs> whether it be in the state of Arkansas or, or, or beyond. Well, I, and you, I, you're right. I did ask you about that, but I, I had a couple specific questions about, I mean, what were some, okay. and this is, we can go beyond your time as chairman, Jim. So sure. Sure. obviously, obviously you served on that, on that board a long time and still do, uh, but you, uh, you served on that board a long time to get the position of chairman, but uh, pick a memory out there that really stands out to you whether this be an international trip um a specific you know project that you got to see in development just pick something out and tell us about a highlight i will take out a a project that i think really put us uh with soybean oil out looking for new things and Mm -hmm. it was a i think we were down in savannah georgia for a meeting and uh had a young uh, PhD woman from Ford Motor Company come to us and she needed a little bit of money. She wanted to do some research on soy foam. I said, most of the time, soy foam, when it's uh, cooked or however you want to say it, you know, the, the things that it goes through, it smelled like cooking oil. Mm-hmm. And she said, I think I can take that out of there and we can use this foam for the seats. We can put it in the insulation and the roof and different things like that. And, you know, I was sitting on the oil team at that time and Mm -hmm. we talked about it during the meeting there. And I said, you know, 
I don't know whether that makes sense or not, but she's not wanting but about half million dollars. I said, I'm willing to try it. I said, if we could just get that done and think about all the Ford vehicles that we had going around, how much oil that would take. Mm -hmm. So we, we funded this gal and, and uh, she came back to us the next year and got a little more funding and was doing some good things. Lo and behold, it happened. She was wow. able to take that soy oil, turn it into a foam, and it didn't have smell to it. They started using it in Ford. Ford committed to it, which made me think that, uh, you know, they not only maybe made it a little cheaper, that it was sustainable, it was farmer uh, sort of driven. Uh -huh. like, uh, we could grow it every year, didn't have to, you know, drill into the earth. That was one of the uh, highlights of. Uh, that year for sure and probably my career because i think it changed our view of what we could do with soil and it's now like you said in going into paints we got it into goodyear tires they're working now up in some of the states putting it in asphalt mm -hmm. and wow. if we get this infrastructure stuff going that uh, the government thinks we can do infrastructure could be big and we could really move some soybean oil and you could be sitting in a soy seat Riding on soy tires <laughs> on soy surface. What what else could you ask for? I'm telling you. And th and this is all important for those who, who, who aren't as familiar with this conversation. This is all important because it's demand. Right? Sure. Farmers operate on, on a system just like any anywhere else in the world where you create something. It's a supply and demand system. So as demand goes up, uh they're, they're you know, that gives an opportunity for a need and supply increase. And so uh, that's that's why those new markets and things like that are are so important to us and and thanks to thanks to you Jim and all the other farmers who have served on on these checkoffs um, you know around the country to to build that out well um, you know this has been a fun conversation as I mentioned we wanted to have this conversation specifically this month because it's Arkansas soybean month um, and again this year a little little bit special because it's the 50th anniversary of the Arkansas soybean checkoff. Uh, or the Arkansas Soybean Promotion Board. You can find out a lot more about soybeans, uh, the Arkansas soybean industry at themiraclebean.com, or if you search Arkansas soybeans on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, various other places, you can find out a ton of this information and more. I think they, they've got a soybean industry documentary for the state here telling the story of the first time soybeans were planted in Arkansas. So just all kinds of stuff out there for educators, for, for folks just at home who want to teach their kids that that food didn't come from the grocery store. It did indeed come from a farm somewhere, probably in the state. So anyway, get out and enjoy it. Anything else, Jim, to share? Well, uh, one little fun, fun thing. Uh, I remembered uh, the checkoff 50th anniversary because it was the year I got married. So Ron and I celebrated <laughs> our anniversary. It was kind of a dual deal, you know? Yeah. But uh, I want to leave everybody knowing that uh, we farmed this farm now for four generations, and we're hoping that sometime uh, some of the grandkids or something will step in here because we want it to continue and, and be as good as it's been in the past and better if we can make it that way. Yeah. At the same time, we want to have uh, products grown out here that I hope that the consumer appreciates and it helps us all in this world to thrive and survive, you know? Yeah. And I just thank all of you that 
are concerned about uh, knowing these things, and I appreciate your call today. Yeah, well, appreciate you, and thank you for the reminder that we all need that we're not just growing food out in these out in these fields, but uh, yeah. many, many, many things are grown across dirt all over the state of Arkansas. So thanks, Jim, for making the time. As always, I appreciate you, and I uh, look forward to getting out to your place again soon. We'll do it again, man. Appreciate it. All right. That's it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more interviews and updates on Arkansas agriculture.